welcome to Cycling Tips. This is not Kayleigh Fretz. Uh, this is Dave Everett, over known as Shoddy. And I'm hosting today, so first up, I apologise. But we do have three of uh, rowdy voices to join me today. We have got, well, one who's in New York. Johnny, how are you doing? It's looking cold there. You're filming or you're recording from uh, Central Park, aren't you, mate? Hello, Dave. Uh Yes, well, I was trying to figure out after last week where where could be the quietest place to record this, and you know, one of the one of the biggest cities in the world, not really not really many places where I'm staying. You're not allowed to make that much noise. It's like a little pod hostel hotel thing. Um, like there's a big sign on the door saying "Don't make noise," and I'm like, right, okay, can't do the podcast there. So I thought the park. There was a couple of men with leaf blowers and some birds as well, but I've managed to avoid them, and hopefully you're hearing me loud and clear. And this is a sort of an upsell on on the photo booth last week. Just a little bit. That looks absolutely blooming lovely. Oh yeah, I can. Sorry, I can just see on the uh, the video call the sun is coming through the the trees above me, um, and it's not that cold. It was there. You go. Yeah. Sorry to all the listeners, but I'm just tilting some of the the skyline into view. Um, but yes, I am wrapped up warm. Uh, but that's just a preventative measure in case it, the temperature drops while we're recording. But you you will look warm in your in your home offices i was gonna say johnny i can tell you a bit of a cyclist because you've got defeat gloves on always a quality <laughs> winter item <laughs> right next up kit how are you doing mate all right thank you doesn't look quite as um uh, i'm i'm gonna not slag you where you're staying off but it doesn't look quite as picturesque as where johnny you mean, is you mean my cubby hole um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i mean it's, it's been a, it's been quite nice in Edinburgh, the last few days, it's been a little bit on the warm side um, for November. But um, yeah, this temperature is now starting to drop, um, which we should probably be quite pleased about, even if that does mean more hoodies and gloves. And, and Ronan looks pretty sunny where you are as well, mate. It is, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah I had to go out on the bike this morning just to convince myself that I am still in Ireland. I haven't uh, had a bit of a chest infection last week, so didn't get out and about all that much. Uh, didn't want to venture out over the weekend either, just coming off the back of that. But it's been like 15, 16, 17 degrees Celsius here. It's uh, quite worrying. Um, but, uh, you know, the one slight consolation for me was, although it was like 16 degrees in November, it was so windy I couldn't have gone out on the bike anyway, uh, even had I not had a chest infection. So I, I wasn't looking out the window going, flip's like the one good week we get and I'm stuck indoors. <laughs> Right, let's crack on then, people, because, uh, well, Kaylee's left us with a week where, should we call it a slow news week? I think that's why he's, I think that's why he's darted off and left us in charge, because um, we've got to put a podcast together now, haven't we? An hour's worth of bike chit-chat, and, well, what have we got to talk about? Surely we have said that kind of every week for the last month, mm-hmm. uh, and we've always ended up struggling to keep the episode under an hour, so... Uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take that as a guarantee that this won't be an, an extensive episode. Let's see. Right. So, what have we got to talk about? Kit, take it away. What 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 bits and pieces have we uh, have we got on the run sheet this week? Oh well, um, this week we have a pretty varied list. Um, we've got uh, news, some news about Bahrain victorious and their ongoing um, investigation. Um, which I think started at the tour a couple of years ago. Um, and then we've got a nice bite about Pierre Hollande, um, some news about Lachlan Morton's uh, future goals, which sound very exciting, if a little unlikely at the moment. And then, of course, this weekend was the first round of the second year of the Track Champions League. Lovely stuff. Well, question is, has anybody watched that? And I mean anybody on this channel. I don't mean anybody as in... Um... <laughs> anybody worldwide because I'm sure they have yeah. but has well, anybody here out of the four of us watched it I watched it Ronan mm, no you've had no excuse you've been stuck indoors with it being windy mate it's a Formula Johnny, 1 was on and, like at the same time <laughs> priorities <laughs> me man Johnny I'm guessing you've got a perfectly good excuse there wouldn't have been a TV in your little um, pod hotel yeah, I'm either going to use the time zone excuse or the uh, they don't show it over here excuse. Well, they probably do. But, yeah, I'm afraid no. they probably do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't found the channel then. All right, then. It looks like it is down to you to give us the news on what happened 
on them the, the little velodrome, the track racing. Yeah. Well, I, I won't give a blow by blow of the racing as such, um, uh, but it was. I think I suppose the most important thing to talk about with the Track Champions League is that it's this new format that is designed to get people excited about a short period of time, a short sort of narrative that you can get hold of, and there isn't any sort of you know you don't have to invest for a whole week, um, and especially with the track format where you've got prelims and, and uh, uh, quarterfinals, semifinals, and they spread out of over a number of days. They also wanted to bring in some new fans. Um, uh, and part of that is to create a sort of party atmosphere. So if anyone watched at the weekend, you'd have seen that um, the velodrome, it was in Palma and Mallorca, um, the velodrome was very well lit. And I say that meaning it was lit like a party. And the music was very loud um, by the sounds of it. Um, I was, uh, I, I'm, go I'm going to the second round in Berlin next weekend and I've already uh, got myself a stock of earplugs ear um, because I'm, uh, <laughs> I don't know. First of all, I'm not that keen on the kind of music they were playing, not the disco sort of get your blood pumping stuff, but um, also it just sounded too loud. Um, but no, it, so um, it was... I think on the whole, it was a pretty good uh, event. Last year, uh, I mean, it was widely touted as being a success and a lot of the riders were really, really uh, full of praise about it. You know, having the world sit up and take notice or at least the broadcasting sitting up and taking notice for five weeks um, over winter. Um, and yeah, I, I watched it with some uh, track cycling newbies, which... Um, well, I thought might yield a feature. Um, as it happened, they weren't as they weren't as excited as, or at least they didn't have as much to say as I might have liked, um, and that would have made anything interesting out of it. But uh, what what I did take from it was that the short format, although having seen it all last year, I was it was it wasn't the most exciting, let's say. Um, but for a newcomer. Uh, he uh, so these family friends they got to understand the racing pretty quickly in the space of three hours they knew what was going on so that's uh, that's a I don't know job done I suppose that shortened format you know you can see what they're going for there trying to you know keep the action keep it entertaining but it was still like when I think back to last year and I, I did have a genuine reason why I didn't watch it over the weekend uh if had I been able to sit down and watch three hours of track racing I would have yeah quite enjoyed that but it's that I remember going to sit down to watch it one one round last year sitting down turning on the tv and seeing that there was three hours of this to commit to and that that, that was you know although it's shortened and we're picking out like the best events from you know the, the sprint the, the sprint disciplines and the endurance disciplines I still feel that you know that three hours is is you know on a Saturday evening is just a bit too much to you know to sit down and really buy into, uh, and I sort of wonder, you know, as as harsh it is as it might be to say, do you need to cut that even further, like or or maybe even better, you know, could you split it over two nights instead, an hour on the first night and an hour on the second night, and have sprint events the first night and endurance events the second night, and you might get into issues with. You know, recovery time between events and stuff like that but i just that that was that you know if, if we're talking about trying to make it more appealing to a wider audience that you know three hours is a, is a big big time so that to commit to on a saturday evening when competition for the tv let's say um is high especially you know when uh the most hated politician in the uk happens to be living in a jungle for a month uh the chances the chances of getting uh Cycling on TV on a Saturday evening are, are are pretty slim. You're right. Three hours is a it's a long time for anything. You watch, you go to the movies and you see these three hour movies, and people whinge that they're too long, which is I, I, I'd agree. So uh, it, even if you're going to say uh, uh, the picture house, as me mum and dad would call it, and watching a three hour movie, it, it feels it feels a long time and that's something you're investing in. That's something that's been designed, that's been refined over whatever two, three years of producing a movie to be hit the spot every minute. And three hours in a cinema can feel a long time. So three hours on your sofa at home watching something that is aimed to hopefully bring more people into, into the sport. 
it probably is a long time. I do like the idea of splitting it into two days, two two separate occasions. Like, um, the, the, you've been to the Ghent Six before, Ronan, haven't you? Now that is a that that gets your attention all day or all night, doesn't it? It's it, it's a long night, but it gets your attention all night because it's it's a, it's a completely different environment to what's going on on the track at the moment. I'm guessing the. They've refined it from last year, though. Have they kit? You watched it last year, didn't you? Have they refined it? Have they improved upon it last from last year's and sort of taken the aspects from sort of like these six day events to 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 make them three hours, hopefully whipped by a little bit faster. Yeah, I, I w- I'm not sure they have changed anything much. Um, I mean, one of my thoughts last year was that the endurance events. So they they split into two categories. You've got the sprint and the endurance. And for the sprint side, you've got the uh, the individual sprint, except it's a three up rather than a two up sprint. And they only and they don't have it's not best of three. It's uh, each round is they only get one chance. Um, and then they've got the Kieran, um, which is always usually good fun um, as long as there's good competition. And then on the endurance side, you've got we had the scratch race and the elimination race. Now the elimination race is one of my favourite events. That's great fun. Um, and that was really that was something that um, both these family friends really could get excited about because it was weird. <laughs> um, you know, you're watching the there was a photo finish on the back wheel in in one point, um, but the scratch race because they've because of the shortened format, it was really quick and it was too quick really to have much chance of having that breakaway and taking a lap. Although that did happen in the men's race, and Mark Stewart, British lad, uh, won that. Um, but he took the lap basically on the line. Um, uh, so I think, I I mean, this is maybe just my quibble, but I think the scratch race is maybe the wrong format to try and shorten because, you know, it's the closest to a road race that you've got in track cycling, but you need that time to let it go from what would otherwise be, if we call a Kieran a bunch sprint, the scratch was basically a really long Kieran for the women's uh, side because there wasn't a chance to get a breakaway. Really, um, I'd like to see the points race because that's always really uh, dynamic. Or Madison, um, which is obviously a lot of fun. Um, but then again, the problem with Madison is that you've got to have teammates, and it doesn't really, at least at this point, when uh, they're not racing in teams, it's very much an individual uh, series. At this point, Madison wouldn't really be possible unless you had a kind of Wimbledon-esque uh, lottery draw where you had random people uh, pulling each other out of a hat to play doubles together. Actually, I love that idea. I think they should do that. <laughs> I think you're right though there, kid. Like, you know, what what do you want from these? If we think even of shortened Grand Tour stages, what you want is action. And by opting for the scratch race, you're kind of just, you know, you're you're shorting the, shortening the amount of time before you get to the action. Whereas if you went for the points race, like you're suggesting, or a Madison there, you're forcing the riders to be active and be aggressive from the on from the outset, which yeah, is surely going to make for a more entertaining sort of scenario. You you would you would hope. But the other thing, and you just touched on it there, when you know there there are individual riders. I felt last year having watched it, you know, had had each it, I can't remember the exact I have notes somewhere I've been frantically trying to find them and I couldn't find them right now but I remember last year thinking had the the tracks hosting the event been asked to form teams for the series and have three or four riders representing so Palma would have a team have three or four riders representing Palma and those riders be you know go forward to the next event in Berlin but still be representing Palma like a, like a team for the series you might be able to, you know, you could certainly have a Madison then because you'd have teams. Uh, the idea of having a random Madison team sounds exceptionally dangerous, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. <laughs> but um, yeah, like, it, like let's not be too uh, harsh here, I guess. Like it, it's it's great to see, you know, um, some initiative with, with track cycling, cycling here and, you know, they're, um, it, it, it's happening again, so it must have been to some extent a successful first uh, edition last year. And yeah, I think I think really that was my only my only stumbling block at the moment is just the commitment to sitting down and watching three hours of of track racing. And perhaps maybe I've got the wrong end of the stick. Maybe I should be just dipping in and out. But um, it doesn't really strike me as I ourselves we might be able to dip in and out if we know which events were 
looking out for but if you're trying to attract new spectators to track cycling they might not necessarily know which events they're going to find most interesting most entertaining and dipping in and out then at that point seems it's not really an option is it no now on the team front though and uh, one change from last year is that well last year we were still under some degree of um at least on a global basis covid restrictions so there were a lot of uh Australian and Kiwi riders, or even, I mean, Mark Stewart was, is a British rider. I think he's Scottish. He, um, he was, uh, uh, he was stuck in New Zealand for most of COVID. Um, but he was able to return, uh, and with a lot of panache in this weekend, but what, but that also meant that some of the Australians could come and the Australians did manage to club together in, as a kind of team, you could see that they were, uh, taking advantage of each other. And indeed in the sprint event with the, um, with the three up individual sprint, um, uh, you had Matt Richardson and, um, is that his name? Uh, and Tom Cornish, the Aussies going up against, uh, their rival each time. And they just rinsed that category. And then they beat Harry Laverason, the defending sprint champion. So it, there are, so there might be, I mean, maybe, trouble is, is that you've you've got eighteen riders for each round. So if you had two riders from each nation uh, as teammates, then you would curtail the internationalism, and that is part of the appeal. Is there are twenty five countries represented across the four categories, including Suriname, and uh, there's a small Indian island that's represented through the uh, UCI's World Cycling Centre um, qualification. Um, so it is so that they are as well as having some of the biggest, you know, got four world championship, four world champions there. There, are, There's also opportunities for these less uh, well-known cycling nations. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a kind of, um, it's still in an ex- experimental stage. It is more uh, democratic this year. It does look like there might be a little bit more competition. Um, so maybe that will change the dynamics as we go into the next few weeks. Um, with regards to the excitement. The one thing that's definitely missing is an hour record each week. <laughs> Every week. Every writer yeah. has to do an hour record. Just dra- drag it out to a four-hour stretch, <laughs> eh? An hour record pursuit. Yes. Where if you get caught, then you are out. <laughs> I can right. see people volunteering to get caught. Yeah, definitely. We, we need to get Kit on the board here to run this thing. <laughs> so you're heading there next week, are you, mate? You're heading to, to yeah, Berlin. Yeah, I'm going to Berlin. Partly to go to this, do a bit of work, and then have a few days of holiday because I need it. Frankly. So you can tell us what it's going to be like, yeah, in person from the event. See if the earplugs work or not. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, I might be shouting on the next podcast. Um, you'll know why. Or you might have a sore throat. Right well, then- on to the next, on to the next bit of news. And while we've got Johnny, because he keeps. Um, plopping in and out of the uh, the old chat here, I'm guessing. Uh, Central Park's uh, 4G, 5G network ain't up to scratch. So much for New York, mate. I know. Well, seeing as this is the all-British and Irish podcast lineup this week, you think I'm, I'm doing quite a disservice to, uh, you know, our roots. You are <laughs> right. John, do you want to tell us about Bahrain, mate? What's going on there? Bahrain victorious. Well... If I had to have a guess, a bit the the crux of the story is is that uh, Europol have ended their investigation into the team, the stemming back from sort of raids of hotel rooms and various things. What they've done is they've passed they passed the whole thing up to the judiciary. So, you know, if you ha- no one really knows exactly what's going on, what's found. If you had to guess, either this is I think this is the more unlikely outcome is that there's some huge huge thing. And they've passed it out because it's now it's now the judiciary's time to sort of take take the evidence that the police have collected, la da da da. But I think what's more likely is that Europol haven't really found much. We haven't heard many whispers or any or rumors or anything about what's going on. Um at the Tour de France, the raids didn't seem to turn turn in that much, um, or anything at all, really. So it maybe maybe they were at and it depends what Europol are acting on. If they're acting on tip-offs, then you don't know what you're going to find until until you've had a look. Um, so it seems like this might all be winded into a close, this matter. But I don't know. It's Who's to say? 
Anyone, anyone else have any have any plans on it? I mean, the, the update from the update from in, in, uh, Europol and Bahrain was quite brief, so we can only sort of really analyze and sort of guess what what's going to come next. But that I think that that's my sort of take. Does this um, sort of give fans of the well, fans of the Bahrain victorious team something to feel a little bit more comfortable about? What do you reckon, guys? Well, I suppose cycling is a sport where rumours don't take long to fester. Um, and the fact that we don't, we haven't heard anything really is probably reason to be hopeful. Um, I, yeah, I mean, that's my immediate thought. That's the Cats 22 with cycling, this weird place that we found ourselves in, and that the team started winning, rumours started circulating, they got raided. And, you know, from what we understand, nothing has come from those raids and the team is winning less so now they can have more confidence and it's like well how, do, how, how does the team win in that situation you know if they're successful immediately they're having accusations thrown at them and if they're unsuccessful then you know we we're not even talking about them um so how do you, how do you even become a fan of a team in, in that sort of scenario it's a I'm not really looking for an answer to this. I don't think we can solve it all in, the, in a one hour podcast but it's just this ridiculous situation that we repeatedly find ourselves in and you know it ha- had Bahrain victorious not been so successful last year would they even have been rated in the first place who knows now Johnny you've spoke a fair bit with uh, the superstar now I suppose the man who struggling to take a win but does an exceptional job at coming second a lot Fred Wright who rides for Bahrain victorious because he has a few interesting things to say about the whole uh, situation surrounding the team doesn't he yeah, I spoke to him at the tour at sort of the height of all, of all this drama. The the team didn't really want any any of their riders or staff talking about it. They just wanted to let it let it ride it out. Um, but he was very keen to talk about it. You know, we we sort of know him fairly well enough to like say like, do you want to talk about this? And he was like, yeah, he wanted to set the record straight. Um, and I think that gives you that gives you hope when you have riders who are willing to just sort of take it head on and not let the silence do the talk. And they, they, they believe in themselves and their team passionately enough to, to, to stand up for it, you know? So I think that's a real, that's a real sign for encouragement. I think the other thing is as well that team, I mean, teams getting raided by Europol and like, you know, police uh, agencies is, ne- is not necessarily that common, but teams don't necessarily get raided, but anti-doping is always like knocking on teams doors and, like at certain times and sort of keeping tabs on teams but it, a lot of it doesn't make it to to the press um so while like the investigate not to diminish the investigations to Bahrain victorious but i i think it's uh it they have taken a lot of heat for it and i reckon that's probably where fred wright has a lot of his fr- frustration from when when there are these other th- these other things going on behind the scenes not that's putting words in his mouth but for me that's that's what i'd be frustrated about um yeah, is that does that seem fair? I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Did, didn't like Fred Ray's kind of the perfect example as well, and that the amount of second places and third places he had this year, like at the Tour, at the Vuelta, he was top ten in Flanders as well. Um, you know, he's had a, a a big big season of results without really taking a win, uh, and you know, all of those top results, except with the exception of perhaps Flanders. All the other top results he took this year could easily have been wins, also. And if they are wins, then you know, these rumors start circulating again, just because of the you know finishing one position higher. Um, and I think also, Shadi, you were saying off air about you know Fred was on the cycling podcast earlier this week or last week, and he mentioned that some of the sort of older generation actually have have tarnished the sport in a way that that. Uh, perhaps just leads to these sorts of investigations and these sorts of rumours and everything that happened with Bahrain Victorious happening much easier and much more often just start, just because of the sort of reputation that the sport has now from that older generation. And while I agree with them, I think you know a big part of the problem there is that so many of that older generation are still about. And you know, for, not, not to go down that rabbit hole, but for as long as they're in the sport, they're going to attract that sort of attention aren't they and that's you know that that's not just Bahrain victorious that's you know a, a, across the sport um so yeah well yeah you know, I think it's also important to say that this you know we we don't really know what's happening here all we know is that Europol have kind of handed off it doesn't mean it's 
they haven't found anything. It doesn't mean they've found something. We, we don't know where it is, but what's peculiar is that for everything that happened around both of the last Tour de France's tours to France, how quiet it went then in comparison to that uh, uh, of, of late. Like, so it'll be interesting to follow. It will indeed. It's as you say, it's, when you've got riders still still within the sport, being come with director sport, Eve's mentors in a lot of senses to the younger riders who were about for you know, everywhere from the Festina affair onwards. It doesn't seem that they want to be um, not, not. I don't want to say cleaning the sport, but I don't want. Uh, yeah, there's there's that black mark still hanging over it. Isn't there? There's like, like Fred Wright. What is he? Twenty three, something like twenty four. He won't even. He wasn't even born for the Festina affair, which is twenty five years. We can have a celebratory year. Do next year. Now the next year's tour. Twenty quarter of a decade. Quarter of a century. Sorry. Uh, so yeah, when you got guys who are like young lads riding in the peloton today who don't remember that huge event, and. They're, they're still being tarnished by an, events like that. It seems wrong to, um, yeah, sort of have them. Pay the price for that. Exactly. That's the word I'm looking for. Cheers. Yeah. And what he said at the tour this year, uh, when he spoke to Johnny, I think, uh, was that, you know, the team had good morale because they were enjoying racing their bikes. Um, and, uh, you know, they, he said, we're doing our jobs for happy days. Um, so, yeah, they just. You can understand that they want to do their own thing and be in now rather than have that hangover from... I mean, I think we all understand that there is definitely doping in cycling. And I'm not saying that it is at Byron Victorious, but that it's going to be the case for a long time, whether it's a grey area or not. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a shame for riders like Fred um, who just want to race their bikes. Right, talking about, from one nice fella, Fred, to another very nice fella, shall we talk about Lachlan and what he, Lachlan Morton and what he's got lined up? Who wants to take this one on? I reckon Ronan, let's, you, you tell us about it because you're the one that's um, on the CT team who's generally up for doing something stupid and he's, Lachlan's doing something I mean, he volunteers, stupid. he volunteers these stupid things. They just happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> we should probably note that it does seem a little bit from the original, Cycling Weekly originally reported it, it does seem a little bit like Jonathan Vortis is behind it and so, saying Lachlan Mott is going to do this. So, yeah, to, to, for anybody who hasn't heard, which includes myself until I come on this podcast, uh, and despite that fact, I am going to uh, explain what he is supposedly planning to do, which is attempt to break Mark Beaumont, the Scottish cyclist uh, record for cycling around the world. Uh, Mark Beaumont had set out, I think it was like 2019, was it? 2017. 2017. Uh, to, to cycle around the world in under 80 days. And I think he ended up doing it in 78 days. 78 days, 14 hours and 40 minutes. Yep. Put so. Phileas Fogg to shame. <laughs> well, yeah, that was the whole point of it. You know, it was around the world in 80 days, all inspired by Jules Verne and Phileas Fogg. Mm-hmm. So now apparently Lachlan Morton is planning to break that record um, by cycling around the world himself, presumably in under 78 days, 14 hours and 40 months. Uh, one would now, presume. The, yes, one would. <laughs> yes. Well, if he wants to break a record, he certainly has to do that. We don't know if he's set a target or not. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think this is more, uh, reading between the lines, it's like this is something he would like to do rather than this is what he is doing next year. Uh, and it, I know you've got a couple of reasons why you think it might not be it might not be sooner rather than later. Um, but the the big question mark for me was I th- I thought Lachlan was moving on from EF, EF next year while it was Jonathan Vodders, who of course is linked with EF, Easy Post, who sort of broke this news for lack of a better term. I think to for, to clear up the what team he's going to be on, I don't know about 2024, but Lachlan Morton is, I believe, still attached to the EF umbrella next year. It's Alex Howes who's moving on. Lachlan Morton is not, I believe, going to be part of the UCI road team, but he will be a bit like Mitch Docker, although Mitch Docker did kind of announce retirement. A bit like, but he is more or less, a, I suppose, a brand ambassador, part of the team. He's involved in the EF coaching side, but I believe that Lachlan Morton is still going to be in EF kit for next year at least, um, just doing 
no road riding and certainly for the first half of the season, well, gravel. I mean, if he's going to be riding for 78 days nonstop, he probably wants to stick to kit that he knows. Yeah. <laughs> Do not change your shorts or your shoes or your sandals the day Very before you set point. off to ride for 78 days in a yeah. row. But as you said, uh, it's I mean, it's almost certainly not going to be next year. Um, and one big reason for that is uh, Russia. Um, and for obviously probably not the safest place to be right now. Um, and yes, there is a, there's an alternative option um, cutting underneath Russia, but I mean, Iran is a little bit in the way, um, but there's also the issue of all the border crossings and potential changes in direction, different terrain, different, um, I don't know, visa rules that you're going to have to um, get through. And in order to do, I mean, Mark Beaumont was doing an average of 240 miles a day. Now, if you've got to cross a border every few days and all the paperwork and all the bureaucracy and all the holdups that that might entail, you might not be able to get a 16-hour day. And if you if, if one day is cut to, I don't know, six hours or no hours, then that's, you know, when you've got 78 days to play with, you cannot risk that. Whereas Russia is one big country and you can just bomb through it. Um, maybe the wrong choice of words. Um, but um, and with, because he's is also not just one rider, I would assume Mark Beaumont did it with a support team, camp, camper van, sometimes two camper vans, um, and he had people making him food. He had massage. He had mechanics. So it's not so. So it's an undertaking, and it will take a lot of paperwork to begin with. And those extra that Plan B could make it an immense amount more complicated. Yes, uh, and. There, there's actually a documentary about uh, Mark Beaumont's. It's a two-part yeah, series. Good. Yeah, it is very, very good, and it's actually astonishing just how dangerous, for lack of a better phrase, that that the the undertaking is. Um, you know, there's all the obvious dangers you get with just riding a bicycle for that much. You're talking about 400 kilometers per day for 80 days in a row. That's you know 16 hours on a bike. Mark Beaumont was doing every day. So he was only getting, uh, yeah, anyway, we all know what that means. 16 hours on a bike every day for, for 80 days in a row was just uh, mind-blowing. But then, there, you know, he was also uh, riding across Australia. His uh, support vehicle was involved in a, a road traffic accident. I, I think uh, where they stopped at the side of the road or moving slowly or something and a, and a car coming behind them didn't see them. And straight into the back of the 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 camper van that they were using for a support vehicle. So it's uh, it's it's for all the crazy things that Lachlan Morton has done, this would be another level entirely. And you, you know, it, it's I think for everything that Lachlan has done already, he's also been probably as as crazy as they seem to you and I. He's probably been fairly confident going into them. This is doable, or you know, here's how long it's going to take me or here is the main challenge. But there's just so many variables, so many challenges. You know, it's such a big undertaking. It's probably one that he himself will, will probably just want a year, 18 months to, to plan also. like So unfortunately, I don't think we'll be seeing this next year, but I am very, very hopeful that we do see it at some point. Could you imagine dot watching for 80 days? <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I, I mean, if anyone can do it, it's Lachlan Morton. Mm. Um, I would have thought. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I was listening to a podcast with uh, Mark Beaumont a, a little while ago, um, and uh, it was really interesting hearing him talk about how uh, he hoped that his around the world attempt would, I don't know, cultivate more interest in doing that sort of thing. Um, so I know that. Well, um, it, certainly, if, if if he's to be believed, which I think he is, he will be the first person to congratulate Lockheed Morton when he achieves it. Um, so, you know, it, it's it will be exciting to see how it's done, and with the backing of, I mean, with the professional outfit, if he's still with EF, he will have the very best, you would think, on offer um, logistically. Yeah, and like some of the planning that Bowman put into it as well was just astonishing, and he actually he had ridden around the world. You know, not trying to break any records or anything, but he had ridden around the world previously and had that experience and was able to, if I remember right, he did pretty much all of the planning, you know, 
if not by himself, certainly within a very, very small team. So it would be fascinating to see what kind of level of planning a, a professional setup like EF could could bring to to such a challenge. Um, but the the other thing is, you mentioned there that you know he had hoped it would inspire more people to undertake the challenge, and I certainly I, I can see where he's coming from. I think that's a, a you know a, a I do 100% believe him on that. The difficulty, though, is Mark Bowman took 40 days off the previous record. Uh, we're getting into sort of the rarefied territory now where nobody is going to take 40 days off Mark Bowman's record. Anybody, no matter who they are, is going to struggle to maybe take one, two days off. And as as much as I think Mark Bowman's record will have inspired people to think about riding around the world, perhaps and you of course you never hear about these things until you know someone announces that they are going to go for it but perhaps when they you know these individuals around the world have sat down and thought about it and started planning they've said uh you know what actually 78 days is an incredibly fast time i might give this one a miss and try i'm going to go try this gravel race instead (laughs) it's because we've got so many like big events like the transcontinental, all these huge events that are happening and have exploded over the past couple of years due to the ultra-endurance cyclists. You don't hear that many people trying to take around the world challenge on. And I'm guessing it is because once they start delving into the nitty-gritty of it all, it's just like, actually, yeah, this is bigger than I could have imagined it to be. So maybe that's why another reason why Lachlan's like, right, yeah, 2024 is the aim. 2023 is just far, far too close. I would say a big part of it also is, you know, Lachlan, if he wants to do this, he's probably thinking, I need to do this when I am an EF supported writer because the sheer cost of trying to cycle and bring a support crew around the world, uh, probably there, there may even be writers out there who think I could do that in 75 days, but they just can't get the financial backing that you would need to, to make such a challenge. Like that, that's, I, I would, hate to think what kind of cost it would be to to attempt such a record. Mm. There are some great stories from Mark Beaumont's first attempt, first uh, circumnavigation. When he, he did break the record in 2008, um, and it just goes to show how far that that sort of endeavour has come. When you consider that, uh, so when he did it in 2008, the record was 195 days and 17 hours, 194 days and 17 hours. Um, and uh, so it has... And then uh, after him, you had um, Mike Hall uh, of the Australia, what's the Ritzk Australia um, uh, and transcontinental uh, fame, who sadly passed away a few years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, if you look at the, uh, how many, how much time was cut out in each attempt, it's amazing how far it's come in that time. Um, and, yeah, I'm not. It'd be interesting to look into why, because um, I'm not sure. Maybe there was a rule change. Um, I know that there was something about the rec- uh, the because uh, at some point the time you could stop the time when you're getting on a ferry or something like that. If um, which uh, was changed, either you can or you can't, which probably should have found out before <laughs> trying to talk about it. But that's uh, that's us for you. Um, yeah. I would I would say a big part of it is just human mindset. Uh, when the record was 194 days, the person who wanted to beat that just had to do 193, and then you know the person after that just had to beat you. You you in something like that, you set out to break the record. It's very very difficult to go, especially for riding around the world, and calculate this is the time it's going to take me, uh, and then and then you know sort of aim for the absolute best because the risk of losing everything by pushing too too hard early on you know whether that be physical effort or just you know taking a route that is maybe suboptimal or the whole host of different um scenarios that could play out there in terms of getting a, a faster time the, the, those risks just are not worth it the the, the first and foremost the intention has to be to break the record and i would say you know, for Mark Beaumont, his intention was to go around the world in 80 days because we've all heard of around the world in 80 days. And he just, you know, not just about broke that, but he, he broke it by just over a day. And now for Lachlan Martin, the target becomes another day faster again or whatever it might be faster. But the, the point I'm trying to get to in a really, really 
per way is just I, I would you know rule changes aside anybody setting off to break the record is going to be looking to break the record so that the higher the bar naturally the faster mm. the human can go and when Mark Beaumont did it in 2008 there was probably a lot of his thinking that was just I want to ride around the world yes and he was able to do it in he thought and that so the the fact that he could maybe take some time out of it is is probably the only person who's done it secondary. twice <laughs> yeah. there, there may be there may yeah. be other people who have done it twice but if you're setting out to do this for your first time again and you're you're trying to break a record you're just going to go well let's aim to to break the record with a bit of safety nets in case we do run over in certain uh, countries or whatever you're you're not going to be setting out to do the absolute fastest you possibly could. You probably can't even work that out. Whereas Bowman, having done it previously, probably was able to sit down and go, well, I can go a lot faster. And then at some point, probably someone said to him about the Around the World in 80 Days TV show. And he thought, well, it'd be interesting to see if we could do that on a bike. And that's where that came from. So um, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see. It'll be interesting to see what Lachlan does this year, what sort of events he takes on, because... Admittedly, there's nothing out there that you can actually do that really sets you up for riding around the world. It's like when you do, to qualify for, I don't know, so Paris-Brest, Paris, Paris, you've got to build up to that Audax event. You've got to do like a, a, a 700k ride, and then a 1,000k ride, and then you're allowed to enter it. It's, it's, there's nothing even marginally as long as riding around the world out there, that's an, a current event that you could do. Unless he's going to be doing, yeah, some two transcontinental events back to back or something mental like that. I'm pretty sure he has said previously he wouldn't do the transcontinental. Uh, well, he said quite recently he doesn't want to do anything that uh, that results in sleep deprivation. <laughs> which <laughs> this certainly would. Well, I mean, if you're doing 16 hours a day on the bike, you do still have eight hours per night to uh, sleep. Except that, yeah, no, but it's not that. I think it, no, I, I was, think he I was did. Joking. Yeah, I think he did sort of like maybe four hours on, an hour in the van, yes, or whatever it was. Yeah, no, I know, I know, I know you were joking, but it's not. Yeah, it's certainly. I mean, that's how the. It's basically as little sleep as possible, isn't it? There's so much you could delve into it because you get like. Um, Oh, the name escapes me. That young lady, youngest woman to sail around the world by herself, probably about, well, probably about fifteen years ago now. She taught herself to sleep for forty minute, forty minutes at a time, because she was out sailing on ships. It was forty minutes sleeps every, every four hours or something like that. So you wonder if like that's the sort of route to go down. But Kit, you live just down the road from Mac, don't you? So you could yeah, go maybe and ask him a, a few questions. A word with him. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll get him on the podcast. Definitely, definitely. Right, I think that's enough of that that topic, eh? What <laughs> what else have we got to talk about? I know you've uh, fell in love with an article this week, or fell in love with a tweet <laughs> and a little bit of a story. Yeah, well, Saturday morning. Well, I, sp- I mean, this is a very unnecessary backstory, but it's the reason that I picked up on this story in the first place. Um, uh, I'm currently in my home office briefly, while staying elsewhere because I have no functioning bathroom. So I needed cheering up on Saturday morning when I realised that this was going to be the case for several days. Um, And then I stumbled across a story uh, involving Mr. Pierre Roland, um, which actually started back in June when um, a fan just, you know, as Twitter does, uh, this fan um, picked up on a question that um, a tennis fan had actually posed. um, And the question being... What would you do if you met Federer or your favourite player in a restaurant? And so this cycling fan um, tweeted, <laughs> if one day I cross paths with Roland in a restaurant, either I'll find the courage to express my gratitude to him for what he changed in my life, or I'll faint headfirst into a plate of lasagna. Um, now, Pierre Roland replied a little while later and said, um, well, it, I think one of these days we could go to a re- restaurant and eat together. And by the way, I like pasta too. Now, this was in June, mid-June. So what, two and a half weeks before the Tour de France? So Pierre Roland was probably feeling very hungry and at an altitude training camp somewhere. Um, So the idea of falling face first into a plate of lasagna was probably reason to salivate. Um, But great man that he is, he followed through on his promise. And uh, this Friday, this past Friday, 
he and this fan uh, went out for lunch together. Um, and that's basically the story. <laughs> it was, it was not, he didn't get any answers out of him about the B&B situation. <clears throat> but uh, I didn't want to really ask him because it was one of those moments where we all, we all dream of, you know, sitting down with a favourite sports person, actor, writer. Um, and it's a nice, nice little, nice feel good story at a time when Twitter certainly seems to be on fire. For all for reasons. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So that's, that's Pierre Hollande restoring our faith in humanity. No, I can see a, a, a brilliant article idea coming out of here. How about you, you, you can get them, your, your favourite guest dinner, uh, dinner guests who would you choose through history for your dinner guests or maybe maybe that's something we could go down at a later point who what riders would you want to go for dinner with past and present we should do that we should do a round table article definitely I'd say it would, it would definitely have to be a GC rider though because you would you know you'd have you would have no fight for the the whatever food would be on the table you would you would get the biggest share certainly because ah. <laughs> yeah unless it was this time of year no well yeah true Spot on. Right, nerd alert time, I think. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd Ronan, alert. it's nerd the off-season for, well, the people who aren't riding cross at least. And uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, the weather's, well, can be a bit terrible, even though it looks like it's nice where you are today. So indoor training's the answer, in it? Recently, you and uh, Phil put up an article, a video on the YouTube channel about indoor bikes, turbo trainers versus proper static mm -hmm. training bikes. Run us through that. What did you find out? What's run, yeah, run us through that before we send people over there to check out that video. Yeah, well, it's say, actually very good. It's actually the first of I think four or five videos we have coming out uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Phil, what well, Phil paid me a visit there a couple of weeks ago, and we shot um, a series of videos across a couple of days all about indoor training uh, and it's actually a series of videos that was planned to come out almost a year ago uh, but first of all I was a bit unorganized and wasn't ready in time and then secondly um, I had uh, a malfunction with my leg uh, which uh, prohibited indoor training for a while uh, so that delayed it further and then we were into you know the chaos of the road racing season and everything that happened there that kept us busy so Fast forward to now, we're finally getting the chance to do this indoor training series video, and I, I, I liked I liked your introduction there, Shadi, because it's um, something I've been mindful of and, and conscious of, and both writing articles for this video series and just doing the series in general is that indoor training is now just such you know with the leaps and bounds that it's made in recent years, it's just such a viable option year round. You know, it it, it used to be something that riders were you know forced to do if the weather was so so bad during the winter that you couldn't go outdoors and if you were able to bear you know stand staring at a wall for more than 40 minutes you could get a half decent ride in and it was actually something that you know riders were almost uh, afraid to admit that they went on the trainer rather than braving the out certainly around my parts it was like what you didn't just go out in the cold weather like uh, the 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 more traditional hard cyclist thing to do would have been to go outdoors or that was the the theory and of course that was absolutely bonkers um you know but fast forward to today we have so much better you know so much better indoor trainers so much better uh different ways of motivating ourselves indoors you've got all these online training platforms you've got zwift you've got rgt you've got ruby you've got all these different options and now all of a sudden indoor training has gone to something that just some people choose to do you know, year round and more often than going outdoors. And, you know, that's, I think, I, I think that's a brilliant thing anyway. Uh, and even, you know, I did an article last year, just, it was, I think it was around about April, 2021, uh, just looking at sort of why you shouldn't give up the indoor trainer when it comes to the you know, Northern hemisphere summertime. And, uh, you know, traditionally when most people would pack your trainer away and get their good bike out again and, and head outdoors for the rest of the, the season. So, First of all, that's long way of saying indoor training is fine year round. <laughs> and uh, what we wanted to do then was, you know, given the growth in indoor cycling recently, uh, and we've come from you know just having rollers to having all the different options we have nowadays. Uh, we wanted to look at sort of the best 
and or training setups across a variety of price points. So for some reason, I would set the budget of £500, £1,000, and then sort of, I don't like this term, but money, no object, sort of what would be the best setup if, if you could have whatever you wanted. Uh, so we looked at series of different indoor training setups, looking at the trainer you would choose, all the accessories you would choose, what are the essential accessories, what are the nice-to-haves, what you know, what you should, if, if you are working on a budget, what are the most important things to get right from the start and what things can you leave to add on later when you've got a bit more budget to work with? Or the video that you started talking about here was, you know, if, again, money was no object and you're looking at, should I get a smart bike or should I get a direct drive smart trainer? Which one is the best? And, you know, not not to spoil the video, there's pros and cons to both. Um, but I certainly fell into the, the smart trainer category. Um, and and give my reasons for that. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it, it, it was it's the first in a series of videos is what I'm trying to say. I think. So we can expect them over the next few weeks, can we? Just you say five in total. Uh, you've given Philly's work. I, th- I think it might be four. I think it might be four. Um, uh, we're we're kind of at the point where I can't even watch them back never mind uh think too much <laughs> about them so um yeah the it, uh, two days worth of three days worth of footage is worth phil and he's working his magic so um let's see what he comes up with and he does do some wonderful magic i feel doesn't he mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he somehow makes it look like we know what we're talking about he does indeed he does indeed well right that is it for this week's podcast um we, we'll apologize for johnny not not jumping in too often, but it does look like um, mobile signaling Central Park's pretty shocking. He keeps dropping out of the conversation here on the old Google Hangouts. We hope he has a good time now. Hope them defeat gloves keep his handies warm. Right, guys, we will be back next week. I will thank Kit. Thank you. Uh, ne- will we be speaking to you next week from Berlin? Uh, or is it holiday time for you? I think it might be holiday time for me. Right. Ronan, will you be back next week? I think I will be, yes. Nice one. Right, well, if Kit's on holiday, I'll be back. And hopefully, I'm guessing many people will be hoping Kayleigh will be back after (laughs) I've done such a shocking job of hosting this thing. Let's hope Johnny works his way out of the real Central Park and the chances it might be a better chance of getting the podcast out of him if he's on Zwift Central Park the way things have gone this time <laughs> I'm a little bit worried about him because the vid- the video shots that we did see of him on the screen on occasion looked a little bit like uh, Blair which project so that might be the reason we've not heard from him <laughs> he's obviously taking his thick because he's just dropped out of the meeting again didn't even, didn't even stick around to say goodbye or nothing just Johnny has left the meeting <laughs> well wait to see what great venue he manages to choose next week <laughs> indeed okay people thank you for listening uh, to the cycling tips podcast uh, see you next week <laughs> <laughs>